had any problems. Ricky's mother, Nilsa Bass, was uh, uh, running the wedding and she was doing an outstanding job, did an outstanding job, but I knew that there was going to be a problem because when I looked up, I saw a lot of people from Summit. <laughs> you, you, just, you just have to work with me. I literally, we're, we're at the reception, and, and y'all been at receptions, and you know how receptions can get. And, and so, what was amazing is that Summit Nation was the wildest group of people there. Now, what's amazing, they didn't need one drop of alcohol to change the culture of the roof. It's just what happens when people from Summit, I was actually thanking God nobody was drinking because I thought the chandeliers were going to come down one point. And so when things need to be changed, sometimes you have to start with church discipline. And so when you have people that are supposed to be leaders in the Lord, acting a certain way, Sometimes they need to be called out in love. The Bible says speak the truth in love. So I, I wanted to take a moment to say that there's a person in this room who I really want to say he's older than me, but I would be lying to you. I just like saying he's older than me, even though I really want him to be older. But I just want you to see some of the leadership around you in this room that really needs Jesus. Could you, at least, could you throw that picture up a little bit? I want, there's a problem when one of the elders at Summit, who's also a board of trustee member at CSU, is lying on the ground in the middle of the reception. Does anybody have a problem with that? But anyway, I just wanted to show you, this is what goes on behind your back. And you should be praying for me because I need some help. Send Jesus, come quickly, Lord. And so, with that being said, thank you so much for that picture. I hope that uh, it goes viral, and then you do with it whatever you want to do with it. Because we need some change. I told you at weddings, I told you weddings, what happens. Men, I've tried to coach you on, on this, but you continually get married. I mean, Cameron just, you continually do this. I, Cameron, we're excited and, that you're engaged. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. I think there's, a, uh, there's something in the water around here that everybody wants to get engaged, but I told ladies, I, you got to understand, I, men, men are looking in, I mean, Bentley was looking at his wife, Christy, and he was in awe of, of her beauty, and he is meaning every word of his vows that he wrote, precious thing that he did, I felt so sorrowful, he's saying how much he loves her, and how beautiful she is, and that he will sacrifice his life for her, and she in her vows are saying, some things are going to change up in here, and I try to tell you that, man, and you continually get married, and well, anyway, there it goes. So, resurrection brings hope. Think about it for a moment. I, I think it was Judas Smith who said, and he said this, uh, if, if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, and I love the word if, yeah, if it's true Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered the final enemy, that is death, that we just sang about, that song, then everything has changed. Everything has changed if the resurrection is true. If the resurrection of the gospel is true, then you have to say that this body is not limited to this body. Your body is not limited. If the resurrection is true, then that means everything can change. If he rose again, then life will never, as he said, life will never be the same as we know it. Never. If the resurrection is true. And so the Lord, to the best understanding of the Holy Spirit, said to me, when Jesus is involved, everything changes. That is where we get hope. Because the resurrection of Jesus means anything can change. And I would like to add to that. Anyone can change. That's what the resurrection does. So how does the resurrection bring change? How does the resurrection bring change? Let's go. We've been taking a journey. We're looking at all the resurrection stories uh, in the Old and New Testament leading up, up, up to the cross. I can't wait till next week. I try not to get ahead. I was this close to jumping ahead because I can't wait to that scripture where they throw a light, they throw that dead man on Elijah's bones and he just stands there. That's all right. All right I'm not going to get ahead. Lord, help me. All right, so 2 Kings chapter 4. 
Say everything's on uh, summitcharleston.com. It's on Facebook at Summit Church, so you can check out the notes. Second Kings 4. So if you turn there on your phone, pad, bottles, memorization, I don't know what else you got. Uh, you probably got something really cool, something hip. Second uh, Kings chapter 4. So here it is. Elijah was one of the great prophets. He was the one that called fire down from uh, heaven, and, and then they killed the prophets of Baal. And so the 450 prophets, they, they killed us. But then there's a, he did eight miracles within the promised land. But when God took him up to heaven, he crossed the Jordan River, took his clothes off, puts it in the water. The water separate, just like when they came in the promised land. And, and he goes into the land of exile, and God calls him up. Now this is very interesting because the reason why God calls him up, calls him up in exile, is because Elijah is not the hero of the story. So his protege is standing there, and his protege, Elisha, had been asking for a double portion of the Holy Spirit that was on Elijah. And Elijah says, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but when I'm taken up, you know, if you see it, it's cloak, blah, 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 then you'll get it. So he's taken up, he grabs. Elijah's cloak, Elisha does. He walks back, he, he parts the Jordan River, goes in back into the promised land, representing the presence of God. And in there, he doesn't do eight miracles like Elijah. He does 16 miracles in the promised land. Something greater. Yet we have fewer words of Elisha than we ever do of Elijah. We have more works. And they're beautiful and they're powerful. And one of the works is when he raises the dead son of a wealthy lady. So let's pick up the story where they've encountered and this well-to-do lady and her husband are going to invite Elisha into their home and they're going to begin to feed him and then they're going to build a room for him up on the roof and then there's going to be this divine encounter with her and her husband because she doesn't have a son she has no child and, and Elisha speaks prophetically and God gives her a child and then he's going to be out in the field working some people think he had a heat stroke some people maybe an aneurysm but he begins to say, my head, my head. And the father says to the servant, take him to the mother. They take him to the mother. She's holding her son and he dies. And then now she is going to move to go get Elisha and bring him back. And Elisha is going to send his servant, Gehazi, ahead of him and say, lay my staff on him. And the servant does that and it doesn't work. But then Elisha is going to show up and we're going to see something different. So, 2 Kings chapter 4, that was a summary of it, starting with verse 8. One day Elisha went to Shunem. Now that is in the promised land. If this is the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walks on water, where Jesus calms the storm, and over here is Nazareth, it's about right there is this place where we're going to see this happen. And a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, that is Elisha, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. And he can stay whenever he comes to us. One day, when Elisha came, he went up to his room to lay down there. He said to his servant, Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her. She stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. 
What can be done for her? Elisha asked. And I, and I, and I, I love this part. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood at the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up, carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. That's where Elijah had called down fire. When he saw her in a distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look! There's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything's all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes. Father, my prayer today is that the world would cry out, don't raise our hopes. But we cry out, give us hope. And you sent Jesus. And then you sent your spirit to dwell within us. And your Holy Spirit is stirring something within us as we read this, Lord. Some of us are confused. Some of us are like, what's going on? What's the next thing? What's going to happen? God, stir it up today. Fan the flame of the Holy Spirit within us. Move in a powerful way, God, that we might build a room today. That you would show up. We need you, King Jesus. And Father God, if you don't come, by strength of an army, and you don't come by the strength of horses, but you come by people who are willing to say that there is no other God, and his name is Jesus, and we lay everything down at his feet, and we say, God, put us in your story. We'll follow you. And you say, come, follow me. So, Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. God, bring to fruition what you need to. Let us cry out to you what's in the depth of our heart. And let us not live in the, the room of shame, but in the presence of your glory by Jesus. And God, that you'll do something mighty today. And all God's people said, what? All right, so the point is, the resurrection of Jesus means anything can change. If this, that's the point. I want to drive it home. So the question is, how does the resurrection bring change? I'm going to give you some signs here. I want to list some signs to you. Number one, the first sign of change. The first sign that the resurrection brings hope. The first sign that trusting the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings change is that we make room for Jesus. We make room for Jesus. When we believe that God can change any and everything because of Jesus, we make room for him. So I want to look at a couple of observations within that, what it is to make room. Uh, go back there to verse 8. One day Elisha went to shoot him, 
and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. Now, listen, usually when we think of people who are well-to-do, we think of people that don't have a need for God. When you're, when you're in places uh, that, that, that are very wealthy, that people think, I don't have a need for God. Uh, I remember uh, being down there uh, where, where y'all are, uh, some of y'all used to live, down in uh, Palm Beach, went with some people here, and with the people that went and testified with me, it's pretty wealthy. That, that beach that we went to, and, and some places we went to, and, and there were some wealthy people, and it appears in those areas that people have really no room for God, for appearance of that. Yet what's interesting is, is that when people don't uh, think that they have everything, usually there's still something they need. And there's this woman who recognized that even though I have all the money, even though I have the prominence and I'm secure, there's still something I need, and people need Jesus. They need Jesus. There's a void, there's a hole, and they don't have everything. And that's why there has to be more gifts. That's why we have to constantly renew our houses. That's why we constantly have a new job, or we're constantly trying to get ahead, because enough is never enough without Jesus. It's amazing that we can sit in here, rich and poor, and bask in the presence of Jesus, and he is enough. But when we get into the world, there's not a meal, though they're close. Um, there's not anything else that the world can give us that will satisfy us like Jesus. So, when you have this observation here, that we're looking, is that, that people make room. And so what is this observation here? She comes, this well-to-do woman, and she urged him to stay. The words urge, or maybe your version says persuaded, it, it really means this in Hebrew. It means courageous and resolute. When you believe the resurrection can change everything, you and I have courage, you and I have resolve and say, we need your presence, Jesus, come fellowship with us. Come to us, Jesus. Look, here's the meal. Here's the meal. Like, you're, Jesus, your, your body is that meal. Your, your blood is that meal. Listen, we need you. We are urging. We need it. We're not going to settle for anything else. And so you see that. And then we go down there. She urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came, he stopped by there to eat. Verse 9, she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. How did she know? Because being in the presence of Jesus built trust. Being in the presence of this man of God and seeing the presence of God built trust. I mean, it's not like we have any recorded miracle that he did for her at this point. But she trusted him because she fellowship. Listen, if you want to trust Jesus, only a wicked generation Seeks for a sign, Jesus said. But if you want to trust Jesus, spend time with him. He will never let you down. Come on, somebody. He will never let you down. He will feed your spirit. He will feed your soul. If you just spend time with Jesus. And notice that fellowship is not just one-way language. In other words, see, see, there was this fellowship built a place where she said, you know what? I've got to have just more than a meal with Jesus I gotta have more than a corporate worship time with Jesus. I gotta have something else. And so what did she do? She made a room. Verse 10. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair, and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there wherever he comes to us. When people believe that the resurrection changes everything, they will make a room. And it's not just a place of fellowship, it's not just a place of trust, but they will make a room. And notice there in verse 10 that it doesn't have to be a big room. Does it? It doesn't have to be a big room. The Bible says that she made a small room. It, it reminded me, as soon as I read that, the Spirit was like, John, think about faith, right? Matthew 17, 20. Jesus replies, his disciples in that context could not cast out this demon. And so the guy brings, uh, brings the, 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 the person to him, and Jesus casts out the demon, and then he replied to his disciples, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you if you just make a little room. And you said, but John, I, I don't know what a little room is. Well, I've shown you this before, but I want to remind you again. This is one of the prayer cloths that they wear, that you'll see. You'll see Israelites wear. 
And this is what they would call their prayer room. Obviously, they, 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 they're not talking about necessarily going into a closet, but this is what a prayer closet is. As they would wear this over there, right? And you see this, and they would, they would, they would wear this, or they would wear it like this. And you see that it has five knots representing the Torah, each knot. And they would weave it through their hands, as if, and they would recite the Torah, they would walk around this. It's, it's a covering. You, you have scripture. And, and so it was the idea of the Word of God. The Word of God was not just the law of God, it was the presence of God. Are y'all tracking me? Is anybody with me? Like, the Word is the presence. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, and the Word was. He was with God in the beginning. And so there's this idea. But what they would do in the temple when they would wear this, and you can see this, they had an idea in Malachi. even talks about that there's healings in his wings, and when you would walk, you'd see the wings of this. Because it was idea. That's what, that's what the woman with the issue of blood, she touched the prayer cloth, the cloak of Jesus. She touched this part, representing that he was the word, not just the word was interwoven in his life, but he was the word. And so what they would do is, this is how they would make a room. So they would stand out the temple, and they would put this over their head, and this would become their temple. This would become their prayer closet. They'd make room for God, and they would pray. That's how they would do it. I mean, they just make room in our lives. And what Satan does is he keeps us busy, right? Right? He keeps us busy. So we don't have time for God. We don't have time to fellowship. We don't have time to eat with God. We don't have the time to sit and celebrate with God. We don't, we don't make a room so that he can stay. You know, we want him to clean the room up, and then we say, we got it from here. And then there's rooms we don't let him in, right? He's definitely not going to be in the TV room. He's not going to be in the movie room. Oh, no, he ain't going to be in the bedroom. You know, he ain't going to be in some certain places. And Jesus says, no, I'm not just coming into a room. I'm in the house. Right? The body's Y'all might be flowing with me a little bit. I don't know. Maybe so. Here we go. But what, what happens is, is that when you make room for God, a small room, it doesn't have to be much. It doesn't have to be much. It doesn't, you don't need a whole chapter. You just need one word from God. One word. Go. Stay. Believe. Trust. It's done. And it's finished. I mean, it doesn't take much for God just to wipe and change everything. Like one word can change everything, forgive One word can change everything, love. One word can change everything, trust. One word can change everything, obey. We one word from God. In fact, in the Old Testament, you didn't even need a word from God. Come on, somebody, you didn't even need a word. All you just needed was Tommy Tiddy was saying, a nod from God. Now, you're not tracking what I'm saying. See, in Numbers chapter 6, you saw that y'all just kind of with the Spirit. You know how it is. Hallelujah. All right, so Numbers chapter 6, for you, he was telling, he was telling uh, how, to, how to give a blessing over the people. He's telling Moses, and we tell him, this is what all Aaron says. See, sometimes you don't even need a word from God. You just need the presence of God by having the face of God. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. This is the priestly blessing that he was saying in Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. All you just need is the presence of God. That's all you need. And people walking around trying to create a presence. Why do I have to create a presence when I have the one who is Lord over all the presence? Well, I got to create an image. Man, I don't want to create an image. I don't want to change my body to create an image so that people look at me. I just want to follow the one who I made in his image. Just make room. And this is what I love about it. Ooh, this, this chapter is so good. We don't even know we're going to get to the resurrection, but we're going to try. No, we ain't going to get there. <laughs> but look what it says, verse 10. Then let's make a small room. This is verse 10. Let's make a small room on the what, saints? On the what? I ain't going to say the roof, you know. Some of y'all don't call my kind of the roof. Uh, but the idea, the idea of the roof is this. It's the roof. When he made a room for God on the roof, that meant everybody could see what her husband and she was doing. Everybody in the town knew that they were adding on to their house. Everybody saw, see, it's not like it was inside the house that they created a room, but they put it on the roof. And when you put things on the roof, everybody can what, saints? That's right. So when you make room for God, don't be ashamed. That's why Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. And let me tell you something. 
Don't think for a moment that that verse doesn't scream to me. Because there's a lot of time. Lord, man, I just, should I, should I be bold about this? Should I be, you know, Lord, I'm a little real stupid when I start thinking like the Lord. And, you know, when they, I should I even tell them? And people ask me what I do, and I say, oh, I, uh, I work with people. <laughs> right, you know, because I want to think we're all preacher, run, 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 you know. Uh, you know, I don't want to think that. And so what happens is, but no, the Lord just says, are you ashamed of me? And as soon, as soon as he says that, I'm like, no, I ain't ashamed. Uh -uh. No, I'll, let's go. Game on. Put it on the move. They're not ashamed. We got so many people walking around ashamed of the presence of Jesus. Listen, when the, if you believe the resurrection of Jesus, it gives you such hope that anything can change, that God can change dead things and dead people. Here's another sign of change that we see in the scripture. The second sign of change is we don't settle. We got a lot of settling going on in Christian faith. We got a lot of people settling into the lives and settling into the job. I want to tell you something. God is not in your story, you are in His. I'm tired of singing songs about what God did for us. We need to start singing about the attributes of God. He's great. Like what we were talking about there. Our sin is great, but He's greater. Like we, we, start, we start talking about the power of God and the greatness of God and the bigness of God and the largeness of God and the beauty of God. We are in his story. He does not come in ours. He came into this world because he saved the world, not just me. He's not coming into my life to make my life better. Oh no, he came into my life so I can follow him and make somebody else's life better. That's what it is to follow Jesus. It's not a game. It's not something that people just, we go, oh, God's like, oh, well, come on now. We're like, oh, God, you know, we, we, we need you. We need you. Yes, if we really need him, then let's live that way. Because we, guess what happens? When you have the son of change, you don't settle. And she couldn't settle. The resurrection should unsettle us. The something is missing. When we believe in the resurrection and the hope of the gospel because of the resurrection, then things become unsettled because we begin to realize that life is bigger than this. I had a friend who just got back from uh, Las Vegas, and I have not personally been to Las Vegas, but he, he, was, he was telling me, I said, so what was it like? He said, really, it's like a fair on steroids. A fair on steroids. He said, it just, you know, the lights are so big and everything's like that, and he was talking, he was talking about the, the prostitution being legal and all the kind of craziness stuff. And what I'm trying to say is, like, that should unsettle us. That the lights of man can be bigger than the lights of God. But you know what I love about, I love about God? God said, if you want to put lights up, you can put your own lights up. But I'll just show mine in the heavens. Mine are just a little bit bigger, a little bit brighter, a little bit better. And it's something you can't replicate as man. So it should unsettle us. Something should happen, happen. So go to verse 11. Whoa. Oh, it's 11.55. All right, one day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and laid down there. And he said to a servant, Hazi, notice that the, the presence of God was resting in the place of the person, resting in the residence of the couple, resting in the place. When Jesus rests in us, then all of a sudden he begins to explain to us what we don't have that we think we don't need. Oh, that was good. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shemanite. So he called her. She stood before him. Elisha said to her, tell her you have gone through all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my people. And I looked at that. And I thought to myself, wow, Lord, when the Spirit in His work, our faith is always tested. Stephen Furtick said this. Think about this. The presence of God is in her life, residing in her life, right? Represented Elisha. And Elisha is not the hero of the story. Jesus is. And so what happens is he's representing, saying, this is what can happen when the presence of God is there. And Stephen Furtick said, listen, God has something in mind for us. Greater than I'm good. She's saying, I have a home among my people. In other words, I'm good. What can be done for you? I'm good. God's saying, what can be done for you? You say, I'm good. No, you're not. No, we're not. We are not good. Because there's something that we don't have that God knows that we need in order to fulfill his
Revelation says it says, uh, we live in the land of limitations. So what happens is we begin to accept limitations. Come on. Tell the truth and shake the devil. We just begin to accept limitations that people put on us. And so she accepted. I can't have a child. I'm good. I got a home. I'm with my people. I mean, look at me. I got money. Like she's saying, I got a home. Look, I got cash. I got this. I'm okay. And, and, and he's not okay because look what he says there in verse 14. What can be done for her? In other words, the man of God who represented the presence of God says you don't have enough. said she has no son and her husband is old. God's constantly thinking the eventually more. See, sometimes we think our lives are complete, but not in God's eyes. Sometimes we think, oh, I've got my major, I'm getting a degree, I've got my grandchildren, or this is happening, or I'm in retirement, or I'm at this part of my job, and we think we're good, and I want to speak to everybody in the room, we are not. As long as God's given us breath, there's more of the story, his story, to be told for us to do. It's not like I get older and I just say, well, I've done enough for you, Lord, I'm retired. God forbid I ever retire. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, I'll be able to run like I can run if God wants me to, to, to live long and be able to do it the pace that we can do the same. But we don't sit back and say it's somebody else's turn. We don't pass the torch until there's no flame left in our body. And that's a lot of problem with a lot of other places, the people of God, as they say, I've served my time. I want to tell you something. Serving God is not a prison. So she said, we get a lot to complete, but not in God's eyes. She goes, I got a home. But the truth is she had no son. The Lord showed me. Sometimes the pain is so great, we can't speak about it. Sometimes we have to have others say, for, say it for us. Now here's what I want to say today. The Lord showed me this. That is why when you're down front and you're praying, People are praying over you. Oh, let me tell you, some of you just need to look with spiritual eyes right now. That's why intercession is so powerful. In other words, she's saying I'm good, but the man of God is saying she ain't. Forget my English. She's not good. She's not good. Something's not right. And somebody has to intercede for her because she's been living to her whole life and she just says, I'm done. You can hear the pain. You can hear the pain that she's screaming out. In other words, the Lord was showing me it's easier to settle than face the pain of what we don't have. Go back with me in the word of God to somebody. God said she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said to her, call her. So he called her and she, uh, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arm. He didn't ask her anymore what she needed. He just told her what she needed. Do you understand the delay of God? The only reason sometimes, sometimes God delays, sometimes it is a no. Sometimes it, it, it but so most of the time when God delays, and so he can make sure he gets all the glory. So there's no way, no way, no way that anybody in this world can look at us. So he just tells you. That's what intercession does. That's what prayer intercession does. Sometimes God gives people a word, and they don't listen. Right, Kevin? Give somebody a word. They didn't listen. Life is struggle. But that's okay. God didn't give up on us. And I praise that because he, he should have given up on me a long time ago because I'm part of it. As y'all would agree. Alright, so verse 15, then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and, stood, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold the son in your arms and listen to her pain. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. She responded with an objection. When God says, this is what you need, most of the time we say, when God calls some of us to step up in ministry, this is God saying, this is what you need. And most of us say, God is saying, hey, I want you to stand up and make this program this, make your sweet, sweet make or stand up for God in your room for this. I want you to stand up in this place in the presence of this. And we say, because it's too painful. It's too painful. She's already dealt with it. She's already put aside. It's a limit. It's just the lot that God's given me. Really? God can change the lot. What I mean is that we settle. And what we think we have, because we think 
that is all we can give. Come on. We think that is all we can give. And I extend further to say God is thinking, scheming, and dreaming how to help us not get us. So obviously, as he said, maybe she's been down this road before. Yes, somebody's spoken to this. Somebody's prayed for me. Maybe another person has prayed for her. Maybe that's why she recognizes this as the name of God. She was looking for the presence of God. She'd been looking because there was something inside her that was unsettled. Remember what happens? What happens when you believe in the resurrection that it changes everything? Not only do we make room for God, but we believe that he, he can change it. He unsettles us. He unsettles us. unsettled us in the heart. But you know what I love? Woo! I love about this, 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 this narrative story in Scripture. Just because we object doesn't mean God stops. You, listen, I'm going to tell you some of you, God, you know what God's telling you to do. And you're thinking, it's not the right time. It's not this. It's not that. I just want to tell you something. When God says do it, a delay is a sin in front of a holy God. Trust me, I learned it the hard way. God taught me when I was 18, and I waited until 30. Twelve years of sin and heartache, family. Twelve years of constant unsettledness in my heart. Constant. And so what I would do is I would fill my life with everything I could fill my life to fill with. So I didn't have to feel the presence of God. Y'all tracking? So what happens when God calls you, you can't. He has unsettled you. You know things are not right at your school. You know things are not right in the family. You know things are not right with job. You know things are not right. And God is trying to speak in and through it. Make room for God. And they know how to make big room. See, even though we object, God's just going to do what he wants to do. This is what I love. Woo, let's read the end of verse 16. This is so good. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, men of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant. I love the story. Right? Oh, just shut up. Oh, that went spiritual for y'all. Okay, so, kind of gentle way. I'm just going to do what I want to do. That's why God works. We can argue, and we can argue, and we can argue. But when the presence of God is on us, he will show up. And then I can, and the Lord is just pouring stuff in me, and I don't know how to communicate it that fast. You know, oh, but what happens is that the very thing that God gave her is the very thing that died. Sometimes we get out there in the middle of that ministry, we get out there in that place, we get out there in the gifting of God, and it just begins to die. And God says, hey, I'm letting it die so even a bigger story can be told about my resurrection. Because I'm not limited to man's failure. I'm not limited to what man can do. It's always going to be about me. It's always going to be for me. And Jesus is going to be glorified in us, whether we want to or not, because the Bible says everything's about him. So I'm going to leave you hanging. I ain't going to finish it. I got a lot of love. Stirring me up. So what happens? For seven years, the woman of God became pregnant. And the next year, about the same time she gave birth to her son, just as Elisha told her. So what happened there is when you don't settle, what happens is you realize that we can't settle. There's this unsettling. God is going to speak. God is going to move, and He doesn't. And so God settles in places in us. God makes us unsettled. There's a place of no hope. There's a place of no hope. There's a place of no hope. Then all of a sudden, God begins to show up and do things. God says, go to the darkness. Go to the darkness. He calls you out. Go to the darkness. Go to the darkness. And we go, I don't want to go to the darkness. That doesn't look cool. I don't want to go to the darkness. I don't have money. I want to tell you something. Everybody in this room is called on mission. And your limit of your money is how far you go. What did you just say, John? Everybody is called to go around the world. If you're broke, you just go down to downtown Charleston. No, okay. I'll say it again. Go make disciples of all everything. Everybody's called to go mission. There's no choice with God. We don't sit around and go, should I go to Africa? Should I go to Egypt? Should I go to Malaysia? Should I go to Montana? Should I go to Las Vegas? No, you're going. The question is, how much money you got? That's the question. And God will speak through that. And we're all going. We're all going. So you said to John, I feel called to this area. Good. Go to this area. I feel called to, to Dirty Jerks. Go to Dirty Jerks. 
right? If that's where you're called, that's where you go. But that's, we're all going because we're unsettled because the darkness is so great. God wants to give us something. So, uh, Robert, I'll ask you to play over here too because I, I, I want to get to this point. See, that's what happened. When you go, God begins to speak. God begins to say, I'm still going to move. People can reject, but I'm still going to move. We were down in, uh, well, we, we were down in Palm Beach and then we went to Del Rey. Uh, there was 22 of us uh, doing, doing mission work. Uh, we left last Saturday. That's why I went here Sunday, last Sunday. And then we came back. We, we were in the one place we were in Orlando, the, uh, uh, the gospel, Orlando Gospel Rescue Mission. We were down there, and I took part of the team, and we went over to their, their, their lease store. It's, it's, when I tell you, it's a very tough area. My father-in-law, I'm, I'm talking about, have y'all been to the Citrus Bowl, where uh, Central Florida plays, UCF? Some of y'all been there? Y'all know what I'm talking about. That area around there, whoop! That'll make you think. And so we're going to the store, and, and I remember Becca Foster was there with me, and uh, the student here, she's an awesome woman of God, she's gone done, done some mission work overseas, and just gives her life to the Lord. There's this one guy comes in, and they have, they have a men's downtown shelter, which is men, and it's a really, it's a really tough area. And, and so they, they gave one of the guys to take him, he comes to the, the store there, and he's, he's they, they got him a job at Walmart, he's really excited, and he had nothing. Like when I tell you, he had this. He was very, very poor. The street people of Charleston are better than him. And so he, he, he comes over there, and, and he's just like, you know, I came to the store, he didn't know what to do. He saw, saw me because we were wearing like these identification badges. And, and so uh, he comes up, he's like, I, I kind of need some stuff. They told me I can come here. I, I guess he goes, I, if I don't have shoes, if I don't have shoes, if I don't get these, these, these things, work shoes, I can't, I can't work. I can't, I can't get a job. And he was, he was kind of panicking and he was, he was nervous. He's probably about 30 years old, I guess. And, and, and so he's, 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 he's nervous. And, and, and he, you can tell, but he sensed that God was going to do something. He just sensed, he just, he just sensed that. And, and, they, and they have a strong discipleship program. I mean, these guys sit for hours, for six hours a day, the first week that they're there, and they're just giving them the gospel and explaining the scripture and explaining the life change of the gospel. And so we go over there, and I say, can we pray for you? And he said, yes. And so Michael Foss and I begin to pray, we lay hands, and he just puts it and he starts bawling. And I begin to pray, and I look up, and Becca's bawling, and so she started crying, and he's just crying. And he goes, I'm just not a crier, because I, I just know that, I, I just the Lord's going to do it, and just, you know, speaking life, speaking life. And all of a sudden, this is a true story, saints, a true story. They, everything in that store has been donated, and everything in that store has been donated. trying to find him some shoes. They bring down some shoes, and I kid you not. Shoes had a black stain on the top. I mean, they were definitely shoes that people didn't want. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I feel bad as Christians. I feel sometimes Christians, we sin. You know what we do? We give out of our leftovers. We don't give out of the things we want. Let me break it down for you. You give after you've used it up. Why don't you give something you got for you? Keep your music. So they gave him, they gave him this used up pair of shoes, and I promise you, it was like Christmas. And he was ecstatic about what God had done. I mean, he, it was like somebody gave him a million dollars. He was so excited and so overjoyed because somebody somewhere had said, I'll give something that was speaking to somebody's life. And just when we say, no, God, no, I, I, I've got limitations. I won't live with those limitations. God says, I'm not going to let you live in your limitations. I'm going to keep you so unsettled that the only way you can ever be at peace is for me to step in and do it. Now, the question is, will we make room? Raise up who he wants to raise up. He's 
tells him to do that at Jacob Chapel, he's going to tear down who he wants to tear down. But the truth is, God will do whatever he wants to do. Our responsibility is to make room for it and trust that he is beautiful and he is a genius. And that he is good. And so, yeah, Kevin and I am are rolling a little hanging. This is my boy. So they'll come to worship the United States. Ha <laughs> You smile with the Holy Spirit coming. Um,
and who forever will be making it right. And his name is Jesus. And so today I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord because I believe in my heart that God can raise him from the dead and that I cannot fix my sins, only Jesus can. And all I know is to say yes to you and follow you. Lord, if that's someone who's praying that or will pray that or wants to pray that or has prayed that and they need to talk to us, we're here, Lord. But they need to become disciples, not church followers. Thank you. 